Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us now as we turn our attention towards your word. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. So we pray that you would help us to follow what your word says, to trust and believe that our only hope is in the Lord Jesus. This is we pray. Amen. Well, I apologize if uh, I confused anyone here this morning, but I, I do know, I do realize it's not Thanksgiving yet. Uh, some of you may have wondered, since uh, my sermon this morning is on uh, the ten lepers here in, in Luke 17, the ten lepers that Jesus healed and only one uh, returned as being truly thankful uh, I would suppose that if you have heard a sermon before on this passage, that it was probably either on the Sunday before Thanksgiving or the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Uh, it seems to be a story that preachers who are looking for a good Thanksgiving-themed message, they'll usually turn uh, to this one on those Sundays. Now, there's much we ought to learn um, in this passage about gratitude and what it means to, to properly thank the Lord and others who have been merciful uh, to us. But I think this passage is about much more than simply thanksgiving. Uh, Luke places the story in the context of Jesus' teaching on faith. Um, as we saw last week in verses uh, 1 through 10 of Luke 17, he's also been pointing out uh, the great contrast between how the more religious Jews were rejecting Jesus, while at the same time sinners and outcasts were putting their faith in him, were, were coming to him, were following him. So through these stories, Luke is showing us how those whom we may have expected to recognize and, and follow Jesus as the Lord were actually turning away from him. They're actually in danger of missing out on the kingdom. They, along with many of the Jews, were failing to recognize the work of God in the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. So I think that that's more what this text is really about. It's, it's showing us an example of genuine faith, and it's also revealing the reality that, that, that sadly many will not recognize the glory of God in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. For far too many who hear of Jesus, as well as even those who have received merciful blessings from the Lord, will keep their relationship with him at a distance and not come to him in saving faith. So our main theme from uh, this passage in Luke 17 is that saving faith recognizes God's glory in the work of Jesus and comes near to him in humble gratitude. Saving faith recognizes God's glory in the work of Jesus and comes near to him in humble gratitude. So let's go out to the text uh, and seek to learn what's really going on in this passage. Well, first, Heading I put over uh, verses 11 through 14 is that many seek the Lord's mercy from a distance. Many seek the Lord's mercy from a distance. 
verses 11 through 14 again. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So Luke reminds us that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem uh, right away here in verse 11. Uh, Luke mentions this uh, at different times in his gospel, highlighting the purpose for the Son of Man's coming into the world, uh, that his destiny was in Jerusalem. Jesus' mission, of course, was, was leading him there to experience his betrayal into the hands of the Jewish religious authorities, then to be handed over to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and be condemned by all who were in authority and rejected by his own people and to be crucified and die on the cross. That is what awaits him as he walks into this village somewhere between Samaria and Galilee. Jesus knew that, and Luke wants us to know that as well. So throughout his whole life on earth, Jesus was always on the way to Jerusalem in order to willingly lay down his life for, our, for sinners like us, to be condemned by God in our place, and to rise again from the dead so that his people can be forgiven of their sin and justified before God forever through their faith in him. So as Jesus was entering this unnamed village, he encounters ten lepers, who would have had to have been kept outside of the village. They were not allowed to be inside of a populated area and so uh, would have gathered together and no doubt depended upon each other in this community of, of uh, lepers, uh, this, this group of outcasts outside of the city. So they were, in essence, quarantined outside of the village for two main reasons. First, because of their physical disease. It may have been contagious, so they're quarantined for the physical health of the rest of the residents of the city. Uh, they remained out there. They, they remained socially distant from everyone else. And, of course, that meant they weren't able to be with their families. They weren't able to be with their wives, their children, or their friends from their own community. And secondly, uh, and no doubt more importantly, for the people that day, they were considered to be ritually unclean. They were not allowed to gather with others to hear the word of the Lord taught in the synagogues. They would have not been able to worship the Lord on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem because leprosy or any skin disease in those days was considered to be unclean, ceremonially unclean. So anyone who was ceremonially clean who would have come into contact with one of these men would have been then ceremonially unclean for a number of days. So leprosy was both a disease to be healed and a ritual impurity to be cleansed. And these ten lepers called out to Jesus for help with it. So here it is, all ten of them calling out loudly, it says, from a ways away, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So they all know his name, they all know his name is Jesus. They have all heard of him. They knew what he could do. 
Maybe someone had alerted them that the Jesus would soon be arriving, so they were waiting for him to come by their way, and eventually they, they see this crowd of people coming down the road, following this one man, and Jesus probably didn't, you know, didn't really stand out to them or look all that impressive to them, but they knew it had to be him because of all the attention he was receiving by others. They're all following him. So they, 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 they say uh, loudly, it says they lifted up their voices, they're definitely shouting here, and they pled with Jesus for mercy. Have mercy on us. Now they aren't specific as to what they want Jesus to do. They simply ask Jesus to have mercy on them, assuming that he would know exactly what they are in need of. They want him to provide them with loving kindness, to spare them of their suffering. And asking for mercy, these two these ten men were asking Jesus to, to show kindness to them by, by sparing them the misery of their skin condition, as well as to restore them to fellowship with other families, with their families, with, with, with their communities, and, and with their God. They longed to no longer be considered ceremonially unclean, but rather to be clean so they could worship God and take part in their own religious community. So they all asked for help from Jesus, all of them, every one of them, and Jesus helps them all. They all receive his blessing. But Jesus doesn't immediately grant the request. Instead, he gives them a command. He, he says they are to go and show themselves to the priest. Now, this may seem like a strange command to us, but it wasn't for them. Uh, for it was the responsibility of the priests to examine their condition and to declare them either clean or unclean. Uh, obviously, because they were already considered leprous, they were stationed outside of the village a ways off in the distance, so they would have each already had a meeting with a priest who would have examined their sores on their skin and would have declared them to be unclean. If their condition were to change before they would be able to enter once again into the life of the community, they would have to show themselves to a priest again in order to be declared by him to be clean. So they all go, and as they go, it says um, they were made clean. They were cleansed. They are, they are each experiencing or exercising some level of faith here. They, they obey the Lord. They trust his word. They're, they are going to the local priests, and this, they believe, was the right thing for them to do. It's what, it's what Jesus said. So they go, and, and as they went, it says they were all cleansed, each of them. So that means that the Lord Jesus miraculously healed them of their horrible skin disease that had separated them from their community and their family, and their fellowship of friends. Jesus had healed all of them. He had made them all clean. So now when they show themselves to the priests, when they finally get there, for the very first time, they will hear the priests say the word clean. Now I've been serving in a, in a local church ministry now for 24 years uh, since I got out of college. And each of the churches that I have served in 
uh, has had a prayer chain ministry. Um, at the first church that, that I served at right out of college, we were still doing it by phone. Uh, this kind of dates me a little bit. Um, someone would, would call the church office with a prayer request, and uh, we had a program uh, of several church members uh, who each had a list of other members to call um, to uh, share uh, the prayer request with them and ask them to pray. And so uh, one thing that I've always noticed about each of those prayer chain ministries that I've been a part of in, in these different churches is that it didn't, didn't really matter how involved the people were in the church who were calling and asking for prayer, you know, whether they were church leaders or if they were people who, you know, maybe are in church once or twice a year. Um, if someone had a big need in their life, they would call and they would ask for prayer. They would re request the church to call upon the Lord Jesus and ask him for his mercy, to pray for his mercy on their behalf. And it was most often for some physical ailment or, or sickness that they were really hoping would be healed. And in all my years, I, I've even taken calls from people who were not a part of the church, or any church for that matter, but who had a need and asked the church to pray. Even though well, they were not known as Christians, and by their lifestyle choices, they were definitely not living in the fear of the Lord at all, but yet that they had a need, and, and they, would, they would call the church and ask us to pray to Jesus to beg for his mercy for them. So you, you see, many people love to receive Jesus' blessings and help, especially for, for physical conditions and ailments in their lives. But they only seek Jesus' mercy from a distance, from quite a ways away. They want his blessings, but don't care to know him or, or follow him. They have no interest in Jesus other than that he might be able to do something for them at that moment in their lives. And as we see in our Bible passage, and even within our own experience, while many seek the Lord's mercy from a distance, few will actually follow him in faith. Look at the next few verses here, verses 15 through, through 17. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? So all of them, as, as, as they went away to show themselves to the priests, were cleansed of their leprosy. And it is, is an incredible miracle of God's healing mercy through Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't have to touch them. He didn't have to say some special, you know, uh, formula or cantation. He just simply healed them from a great distance away as they were on their way to show themselves to the priest. And Luke, Luke tells us just one of them turned back after he saw that he was healed. That is, he turned back toward Jesus. And he shouted once again. This time, though, he didn't lift up his voice calling out for Jesus to be merciful to him. Rather, he praised God with a loud voice, it says in verse 15. He praised God, even though he knew that it was Jesus who had healed him. So he knew 
that it was an act of God to heal anyone of leprosy, especially in the way that it happened. And so he was convinced God is at work through Jesus. He sees God's glory at work in Jesus. God had come into the world in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And he didn't just stay at a distance anymore. He comes close. He comes close to Jesus. Look again at verse 16. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. So Jesus would have most likely been standing up, still, still, still maybe making his way into the village, but, but now this man comes very close to him. He is unafraid to enter the village and get close to Jesus, for he knows he's no longer unclean. He has been cleansed, it says. He's been completely healed, and therefore he knew he was no longer ceremonially unclean and wouldn't make anyone else unclean by being so close to close to him, so he comes and he bows down to the ground at Jesus' feet, and it says he fell on his face before Jesus, which is what you do when you're in the presence of a king. You bow down. This man recognized who Jesus is. He is the king. He is the king who has come to deliver his people. He is the one whom God will accomplish his saving work through. Jesus is the Lord. And Luke gives us something unexpected. At the end of that statement of verse 16, he says he was a Samaritan. Luke just kind of throws that bit of information in there right at the end of that verse as a kind of a plot twist. He does this to get our attention by doing that, Luke is kind of saying to us, what do you think of that? What do you think of that? He's a Samaritan. You see, Samaritans were despised by the Jews as, as being half-breeds, as being unholy, as those who didn't follow the way of the Lord with, with any purity at all. So this would have most definitely have been a surprise to the disciples if you would have told them, um, you know, told the, the disciples that out of these 10 lepers uh, that Jesus is going to heal, only one of them are going, is going to return to praise God and personally thank Jesus. None of them would have guessed it would be the Samaritan. Their money would have been on somebody else in that group, not this Samaritan. But the kingdom of God is full of surprises. The disciples and us as readers of Luke's gospel should really be expecting that by now. Uh, but Jesus, well... Look at verse 17. He, he seems a little put off by this. He seems a little put off that only ten, uh, only one of the ten who were cleansed have returned to give praise to God. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Ten were miraculously healed. Only one returned to offer thanks and give praise to God. They were all lifting up their voices to Jesus and begging for mercy in verse 13, but only one of them has returned, lifting up his voice to praise God and has come now to honor Jesus for actually being merciful and gracious to him. So remember, friends, when we read the Bible like this, 
we are reading about real people. People like us. And this example right here reveals something about ourselves that we may not like to see. That is, as, as J.C. Ryle put it, we are far more ready to pray than to praise. And more disposed to ask God for what we lack than to thank him for what we have. On those days when we are desperate and in need, well, we know what to do. We pray, right? We, we know what to do. We pray, we, we text our friends, we ask them to pray. We may even pray several times every day while we're in the middle of, of the trial, asking for mercy, asking for help. But on all those other days, when all seems well, when everything is going according to our plans, when the Lord is graciously sparing us from trouble, sparing us from hardship, well, we find it quite difficult to spare just a few moments of our day to pray and praise God. The texts that we send our friends on those days don't mention the Lord at all or his grace towards us. So what does this reveal about our hearts? What does this tell us about our relationship with the Lord? Many of you are aware uh, that this past week I had another birthday. Uh, started to, uh, it started start, start, starting to seem for me that uh, they're coming around much more often than, than they should. Um, you know, it's kind of like I'm having, I must be having more than one a year, um, how often they, they seem to come around. Uh, but, you know, ha- had a birthday again, and, and so for my birthday I received some, 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 some kind uh, gifts from some friends and family members, and whenever that happens, it, it, it always is my goal to, to write a thank you note as soon as I can. Um, once um, uh, I get that gift, uh, to re- return thanks uh, for sending me um, the gift, and, and I would guess that, that for most of you, you probably have a similar practice. You send a thank you note back as soon as you can. And we, we want to make sure to show our friends, our family members, how grateful we are. We want to make note of it. We want to honor them for being so kind and generous. We do that with our friends and our family, and yet how many of us, how many of us are that devoted to regularly expressing our thanks and appreciation to the Lord. To the Lord who has been kind and gracious and overwhelmingly generous towards us every single day of our lives. Goodness and mercy have followed us all of our lives. Many are blessed by the Lord, but few return to praise and give thanks to him for his mercy. Lastly, we see that many are blessed by the Lord, but few come near to him for salvation. Let's read from verse 17 again. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. So in these last three verses, there is this emphasis from Jesus that ten were cleansed, Ten were healed from a nasty skin disease, and yet only one of the ten has returned to give praise to God, and he is a foreigner. He is a Samaritan, not one that anyone would have expected 
uh, to recognize the power of God at work in Jesus. And so then Jesus turns to him and tells him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. If your Bible has, has uh, 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 footnotes uh, in the text, uh, then there may be one for verse 19, uh, footnote, uh, that says that another uh, acceptable translation of that last phrase of verse 19 is your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you rather than your faith has made you well. Uh, the Greek word that's being translated there is often translated in the New Testament as being saved, as being rescued, as being delivered. The reason why it's most commonly translated in this verse as made you well is, of course, because many translators, it seems, uh, that, that Jesus, uh, to them, it seems that Jesus was referring to his cleansing, to his healing, that it was the man's faith that led him to be healed of his leprosy. But we must note that Jesus is making this contrast here between uh, the man who was healed and returned and those who were healed and didn't. He emphasizes that this man, this foreigner, was the only one of the ten who were cleansed that returned to give praise to God. The other men kept their distance from Jesus. They did not return. They did not come back. But this man came near to him. The other men gladly received their healing, but they didn't, they didn't see anything in Jesus that would draw them back to him. But this Samaritan does. This Samaritan returns. He bowed his face to the ground at Jesus' feet. He recognized that Jesus was the king that God had promised to send into the world, the one who would eventually establish his throne forever. So in verse 19, Jesus is saying to this man, you have faith in me. Your faith has saved you. If anyone has genuine faith in Jesus, that he is the one who has come to save, that he is who he said he was, that he is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God, and therefore he comes to Jesus uh, to know him, to worship him, and follow him, well, then that man has saving faith. Jesus must be saying here that of the ten, only one had saving faith. Rise and go your way, your faith has saved you. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew records Jesus giving this admonition to his followers, Matthew 7, uh, verses 13 and 14. He says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And friends, that truth is being illustrated in this story in Luke 17. The great majority were still on that broad and easy road, but only one turned and entered by the narrow gate. And that is the one whose faith in Jesus made him eternally well. It led to his salvation. It is rare to find genuine praise to God in this world, and that's because Genuine saving faith seems to be so rare to find as well. And this group of lepers whom Jesus had graciously healed represents for us so many within the church as well as outside of the church who have been blessed by the Lord. They, they have known of him. 
They may have prayed to him, seeking his mercy, seeking his help. They may know a lot of information about him, but they have kept their distance. When it comes to discipleship, when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to seeking to live for the glory of Jesus, obeying his word, by seeking to make disciples of Jesus, uh, they've kept that at a distance. They've, they've, they've let other people worry about that. They, they aren't getting involved with that. Uh, they're, they're just fine with enjoying all the blessings of the Lord, the blessing the Lord has, has, has given them, you know, food, shelter, good health, protection, even a knowledge of him, but yet they maintain this distant relationship with Jesus. They might acknowledge the power of Jesus as these lepers surely could have who were healed, but they have no interest in the person of Jesus. If that's the case for you, my friend, then let me point you back again to verses 17 through 19. The only one of the ten whose faith truly made him well, which saved him from God's condemnation and provided eternal life for him in Christ, was the one who came to Jesus. The one who repented and came near to Jesus and humbled himself before him and gave him thanks and praise. Don't continue to keep your distance in this Christian thing. Come near to the Lord Jesus. Confess your true need for him, not just to help you with your life, but to transform your life, to make you a new creation, to forgive you of your sin and your self-righteousness, and to graciously cover you with his perfect righteousness. You know, this, this story seems to be reminiscent of another foreigner who was healed of his leprosy. Uh, that, that, that is Naaman, if you remember Naaman, the Syrian in 2 Kings chapter 5. There are a lot of similarities be, between these two stories. Um, if you recall that story, Naaman was, was this great military leader in, in, in Syria. Syria was uh, the enemy to the north of Israel, and, and he came into Israel searching for the man of God who was known to be able to do amazing things. He came to be healed by this man of God. So eventually, uh, he... He comes to Elisha the prophet, and Elisha tells him to go um, and to wash seven times in the Jordan River, which Naaman initially refuses to do, for Naaman expected that he would be told you know, to do some great thing, just do some great thing in order to be healed, not just go and bathe in this dirty, muddy river. But he, he's, he's convinced that let's, let's give this a try, so he goes and does it, and then once he does it, he's cleansed completely. The text says his skin becomes as smooth as a baby's skin, completely restored. And he turned back, and he praised the Lord. In our passage, Jesus looks at this Samaritan, this foreigner, who just simply turned around, just simply turned around and humbled himself before Jesus and praised him for doing something that he could never do. And Jesus says, that faith saved him. This shows us, friends, we don't have to do some great thing in order to, to make ourselves acceptable to God. We don't have to become this, this great person in order for God 
to save us and, and welcome us in. Like, like this man, this, this, this Samaritan, and like Naaman, all you need to do is admit that you can't do anything to save yourself. And trust in the one who can. Come to the Lord Jesus. Bow before him in repentance and faith and follow him with all of your heart. And maybe by the time Thanksgiving actually comes around, you will be able to celebrate as one whose faith has saved you, forever making you well with the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, oh, we pray this morning that you would awaken those who have kept Jesus at a distance, who have just refused to humble themselves and seek to follow Jesus with all their heart. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would work in their hearts this morning, that you would help them to see their need for Jesus, to do only what Jesus can do, to save them, to restore them, to make them new people, and then to empower them to obey and follow him for the rest of their lives. Lord, help us to come close to Jesus and trust him. In his name we pray, amen.